You're listening to Stage Combat, a mental health story of what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, during its 2019 production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Stage Combat is a true story of the narrator's personal experience during his mental health journey from 2019 to 2023. This podcast contains actor portrayals of actual events. The names of the members of the cast of Billy Elliot have been changed. Stage Combat contains strong language and addresses mental illness. Check the show notes for more details. Haywood Productions LLC offered Goodspeed Musicals, Inc., and the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation, Inc., the opportunity to include a statement in each episode of Stage Combat, including an option to deny the events as depicted. They declined. Haywood Productions also offered Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director the opportunity to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. They both declined. It's noon on Sunday, September 28th, 2019. And Goodspeed General Manager Rachel Tischler is writing on her legal pad again. Situation is more serious. She's on a phone call with me. Goodspeed producer Donalyn Hilton is also on the line. So, last night I had my first panic attack and I collapsed on stage and I was dragged off into the wings. And as I go through my panic symptoms, and shorter breath, my heart was racing. Something strange is happening in this call. And I just started sobbing uncontrollably in, in Larry's arms. In the Neither wind. Rachel Tischler nor Donna Lynn Hilton is saying one word about and what happened to me. All night long on stage, I was afraid that I was going to fall off the upper level of the set because I was so dizzy from the panic. I was afraid I was going to fall down all the stairs that I have to climb. They're not asking me if I'm okay. It was really frightening. Or if I need anything. They're not saying one word. And I don't know why. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 9 of Stage Combat. Terror. Twelve hours earlier. I've just collapsed on the Goodspeed stage, sobbed in the wings, and somehow pulled myself up to finish the finale of Billy Elliot. As soon as I get off stage, I flop down in the staged left stairwell. A couple of actors walk by looking at me like, what happened to you? I cautiously make my way down to my dressing room Every step feels precarious. I soak a towel in cold water and put it around my neck. Aaron and the other guy who shares the dressing room, Kevin, they each put their hand on my shoulder as they're leaving for the night. I call my husband, Ian, and tell him what's happened. You collapsed? Oh my God, are you okay? 
he knows this has never happened to me before. Eventually, stage manager Bradley G. Spockman makes his way to my dressing room. This is now my third meeting about Chad in this dressing room. In tears, I tell Spockman what happened tonight. The panic, the collapse, being dragged off the stage, sobbing in the wings. But I know he must know this already. Naomi, the assistant stage manager who helped me in the wings during my attack, was on headset with him when it was happening. Once again, I tell Spockman I I do do not not feel feel safe. And I need some support from the theater. This this situation with Chad is never going to end. He, he will continue to pick me apart for ridiculous reasons. Like the way I look at him, the way I don't look at him. This has to stop. I'm pouring my heart out to Spockman as I did the night before. But again... Nothing comes out of the man's mouth. And I don't know why. All I get is that damn blank stare. What does it take to get a reaction from this man? What does it take to get him to help me? Finally, Spockman says, Well, drink some water. And he leaves. By the time I get back to my housing... There's a couple of messages. The dance captain, Derek, texts me. Sending you love. Let me know if you need anything at all. And Katie. Are you okay? I heard bits and pieces after the show. Please let me know you're okay. The next morning, I wake up. Feeling like I've been birthed out of some nightmare womb and spit out into some new strange world. Or some new stranger world. I pour myself some coffee and type up some notes for that prearranged call with Rachel Tischler and Donalyn Hilton. I'm a lawyer. I try to think logically, so I think surely after my collapse on their stage and... Surely, if I just walk them through step by step what has happened with Chad, they will finally do something. Someone will help me. And yet part of me wonders, what will be the cost of me telling them about what is clearly my mental health crisis? Will they think there's something wrong with me and I can't perform the role? Will they think, in terms of that awful phrase, that I'm crazy? But I don't have a choice, because things can't go on the way they are. So I print up some notes and review them. I take out a pen and I write, I'm walking in fear of what will happen next. And then I write the word, terror. At 12 noon, Rachel Tischler calls me. Hello, Sean. This is Rachel, and I have Donna Lynn on the line. And I'm getting this bizarre silence. Neither Donna Lynn nor Rachel is saying anything about my health. 
And I'm thinking, come on. You're selling tickets, exploiting my vulnerability on your stage. Could you care about me a little bit? But I'm not getting anything. But Rachel Tischler is indeed listening. She's writing. Panic attack last night. Doesn't have anxiety. Okay. In this strange world of the good speed, let me appeal to their business interest. In acting scenes, we would call that a change of tactics. I just think you would want to protect your commodity here. Meaning me? Your press night is only three days away. Translation, don't you want me to get good reviews and word of mouth so you can sell those tickets? But there's no reaction to that either. Finally, I just tell them about my chat last night with Bradley G. Spock. It was shocking to me that Brad did not seem concerned about my condition following my panic attack. I mean, I plead with a man and literally nothing comes out of his mouth. And I just don't understand why I'm not being supported by the theater given the demands of my role. This gets a reaction. Because Donna Lynn Hilton says, I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't feel supported, given that we set up separate dressing rooms for you and Chad. So I walk Donna Lynn through everything that's happened with Chad since the dressing rooms were assigned. Well, Donna Lynn, there's been a lot that's happened since you assigned the dressing rooms. I assume you guys know that he knocked me down in a performance, didn't apologize. And as I go through the list... The next day, it was very alarming that he knocked the air out of me. If I call, after that, he would not take the fight instructions seriously. Now he's he's screaming his lines at me. And I'm very concerned that now he's fabricated this assault incident. That didn't happen. I have no idea that during this call... Donna Lynn Hilton is sitting on information. I have no idea that Donna Lynn knows about Chad's horrific lies, that I was placed under investigation because of those lies, or that she uncovered that Chad had lied. I have no idea that when Donna Lynn says she's surprised I don't feel supported. This is very concerning. It's disturbing to think that Chad would be untruthful about this. That she has to know, I have every reason not to feel supported. I tell Donna Lynn and Rachel that I come to work in terror. I don't feel safe. I fear the stage combat sequences will become more dangerous. I fear Chad's fabrications will escalate to something much worse. When I ask my director for help, he says I cannot be in anyone's camp. When I asked my stage manager for help, he says I cannot be in anyone's camp. So who has the authority to stop this? Donna Lynn finally interjects again and says, Sean, we know the things Chad is telling us are not factual. Holy shit. I'm not sure what the plural things means. I think she's just talking about the scratch to the face and that she knows it's a lie. But I think finally, yes, 
someone is recognizing what Chad is doing at the good speed. And yet, there's something in Donna Lynn's tone and impatience, like she's almost irritated to tell me that. Donna Lynn and Rachel, we have a wonderful cast telling a wonderful story, but we have one cancer in the form of Chad. Rachel Tischler quickly responds. I agree. And I make it clear to them, I'm taking protective action. I'm not interacting with Chad anywhere off stage. I know you could have brought in a Broadway star to play dad, and you didn't. And I am humbled and grateful to be here. After a long, awkward silence, Rachel says, Okay, we're going to get back to you. The call's over. Afterwards, I call my husband. So what did they say? I just don't understand these people. They wouldn't say a word about my health. No, are you okay? Do you need anything? I don't get it. But they told me they know Chad is lying. So I'm guessing maybe they're going to fire him? Good. Okay. This is good. They know he's lying. Right? I mean, why would they keep someone around who they know is lying? Ian and I both feel relieved. We both think the good speed is finally going to do something about Chad. As I make my way over to the opera house for the day's two shows, I'm still feeling beaten up from my panic attack. I could have called out sick, but I am determined to knock these two shows out. I can't afford to have my employer see me as weak, as if somehow I can't perform my role, because it's not the role that's been the problem. I approach the opera house and look at its imposing facade. Last night, it was on its axis spinning topsy-turvy, but today, it's a massive white rock staring me down and I'm staring right back at it. I walk into Fight Call for the matinee performance. There's a strange vibe in the air. Everyone is a little standoffish. Maybe they just don't know what to say after my collapse. I see the boys who play Billy. I don't know what they've heard, but I I don't want them to be scared. Hey guys. How you doing today? And I give them both hugs. Standing against the back wall of the stage is Naomi, the assistant stage manager who helped me in the wings last night. I walk over to her as I step over the exact spot where I collapsed. I tell her, I just want to say thank you for your help last night. But Naomi's decidedly reserved today. She won't look at me. She just kind of looks out and coolly says, It's what we do. Chad and I take our positions for the fight call. I look at him. 
I wonder if Goodspeed is going to let him open the show for press night and then let him go. For now, I'm in this suspended dimension of time as I wait for Goodspeed to play this out. In the matinee, my dizziness keeps permeating through my performance. I eliminate an outer layer of clothing in some scenes as the dizziness causes my body to heat up. I drink a ton of water in the wings. I claw my way through my performance. During the evening show, I go to my dressing room to change for my last scene of the weekend. A very long weekend. My dresser, Caitlin, she helps me get into my minor's costume. As I'm pulling my costume up, she says, How are you feeling tonight, Sean? And my throat clenches up. Because I realize she's the only person who's asked me how I'm feeling today. For this moment, I'm grateful to Caitlin. After the show, I see Donna Lynn Hilton and Brad Spockman chatting to each other backstage. Donna Lynn looks up at me, her arms folded, and says, Good show. It's the first compliment I remember getting from the folded arms lady. Should we go get a bite? I, I know I'm delivering the goods despite what I'm going through. After the performance, I walk to my car so I can drive to New York City to see Ian. There's a Billy Elliot superfan who traveled from the UK to see our production. And he comes up to me. I just wanted to say, great show. That was just really special. Oh, thank you. No, I'm the one who should be thanking you. Where are you from? I'm from London. It reminds me for a minute about what we do as actors. We're not curing cancer. But for a moment, we can affect people's lives, their hearts, by what we do on stage, by using our own empathy, our own emotions, to tell stories about the human condition. And I've used my own to tell Dad's story of his mental health crisis and his rebirth. I look up at the upper house, now lit up in the night sky, and I think, maybe things will be different now. Maybe I can pull my mental health together before the press comes on Wednesday, and the fear will go away. We can just go back to telling the story of Billy Elliot. They will be honest with me now. But there's something I don't know about. We need to go back 24 hours earlier. It's just after my panic attack and collapse. Bradley G. Spockman has just seen me in tears in my dressing room. And I've told him about my collapse and being dragged off the stage by his crew members. It's now close to midnight and Bradley G. Spockman sits down to prepare an email with that performance's show report. 
he types subject Billy show report for Saturday 928 2019 evening below that he types notes good show no problems accidents injuries none a kitchen coffee mug handle broke off tonight we'll put in a replacement tomorrow he notes that some of the child actors in the cast had friends in the audience tonight and he mentions that a prop snowball got stuck in the mouth of the big maggie thatcher puppet that opens act two seems impossible but it happened but the collapse not a word sean also now feeling under the weather again overheating and dizzy but i was not under the weather bradley g spockman looks at the show report email and hits send he sends another email at the exact same time 12 midnight to donalyn hilton and rachel tischler subject update expansion on show report Sean basically worked himself into an anxiety attack. Plus, he's sniffling and coughing. And just like the show report, he doesn't tell them that I collapsed. I am an employee in the dark. 24 hours after Spockman wrote his show report, omitting my collapse. I pull my car out of the Opera House parking lot to drive back to New York City for the two days off. Driving in the darkness on this Connecticut highway, the hope I felt while talking to the UK superfan in the parking lot starts to fade away. I'm getting this bad feeling in my stomach because I'm thinking about this strange cast of characters at the good speed, where no one at the opera house seems to be acting normal. This young actor, Chad, He's not fucking sorry. who seems hell-bent on some kind of obsessive revenge, and I wonder what will he do next? Rachel, I've got more stuff to tell you. Okay, Hayden. Just let the bad thoughts go. Just believe Goodspeed will stop this circus. Sean, we know the things Chad is telling us are not factual. Why did Donna Lynn seem so irritated to tell me that? Well, at least I've got my director, Gabriel Berry. I cannot be in anyone's camp. Right. He won't help me. Love, love, love with all your might. My stage manager, Bradley G. Spockman. Well, drink some water. Definitely not that guy his underling Naomi. It's what we do. His fight captain Aaron. I have a long-standing problem dealing with conflict. I mean, to believe that for some reason, multiple people on multiple levels are not doing anything to help me? Well, that would just be paranoia, right? Well, at least there's Rachel. She specializes in... Conflict resolution. Yeah, she's got this. I have to believe they will all do the right thing before things get worse, before things explode. Because to think otherwise, that would be just crazy. Hey. 
Haywood Productions offered the Goodspeed the opportunity to include a statement within this episode. The Goodspeed declined. Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director declined an invitation to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. Coming up next season on Stage Combat, a mental health story. Going back to work after you've collapsed on the stage of one of the country's most powerful theaters, you think to yourself, things are going to be better now. Someone will finally do something. Rachel, I've got more stuff to tell you. Let's just find some time to talk. My symptoms are getting worse. John had another instance of overheating. I become dizzy. I worry about Sean's stated tendency towards dizziness over the last week. This has rapidly become a capital P problem. Mr. Hayden, I want to check your heart. I want to run an EKG. There's a phone call from a junior agent at my agency. Um, Rachel Tischler just called me. I'm not sure why Rachel Tischler called me or what was the purpose of the call. Why would she call you? She, she has my number. I've been sitting here all day within walking distance of her office. Oh, shit. Sean? Um, I'm going to get back to you. I hang up and call Ian. Ian? I think they're trying to build a file against me. I think they're trying to get rid of the guy with the panic attacks. I don't know how things could get any worse. I have nothing left to give on this, and I will need to take action. It's happening again. This situation. I, for the life of me, do not understand why someone with a computer gives me the respect I deserve. Come on! I am going to end up in the hospital. I'm sick of both of you. We're going. Well, that's unacceptable. The stage manager can't hold you guys what over and over. Oh How can we stand up what? for you? This is ridiculous. The battle at this point is irrelevant. Joining me on the phone is Sean Hayden. He's currently playing the role of dad in Goodspeed Musical's production of Billy Elliot the Musical. Congratulations on being in the show. How has it been going? How's it going? It's a fucking nightmare. That's how it's going. Stay tuned for a post-show talkback with Sean and his guest, psychologist Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. Anybody who spent any time in theater knows that words matter. They're incredibly powerful. And so, you know, what I hear in the stage manager's response is blaming the victim. Well, you worked yourself into a tizzy. No, you are having a normal response to abnormal circumstances. That's coming up now. Hello, listeners, and welcome to our final post-show talkback for season one of Stage Combat. And we could only do this final post-show talkback with the amazing Dr. Elisa Hurwitz, who is with us today. Dr. Hurwitz, welcome back to Stage Combat. Uh, Sean, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Dr. Hurwitz, we've just heard an episode that is called Terror. It's our last episode of season one. And I wanted to talk about 
the power of words. This podcast is so much about the power of words. And specifically, the power of words, the words we choose to use when we are referring to or discussing people who are experiencing either a mental health crisis or really big stressors on their mental health. In this particular episode that we just heard, we saw the stage manager following my collapse on the Opera House stage uh, state in an email that Sean basically worked himself into an anxiety attack. And in the last episode called Spinning Out, um, the general manager refers to me as spinning out. So what is your reaction when you sort of hear that kind of language as a psychologist? and particularly dealing with people in the performing arts community. Words matter, right? Like you said, words matter. Anybody who spent any time in theater knows that words matter. They're incredibly powerful. And so, you know, what I hear in the stage manager's response is blaming the victim. Well, you worked yourself into a tizzy. No, you are having a normal response to abnormal circumstances. Let me break that down. So you're having a normal response, which is to to physiologically and emotionally be fearing for your safety, to abnormal circumstances, which, which is that there's a threat in the workplace. Somebody is is threatening you and the system is is supporting that threat. Not abnormal in terms of, you know, frequency that is unfortunately quite common, you know, in, in a capitalist society is that the system protects the system, not the individuals. Abnormal in terms of how we are created to function. Safety is such a base need. It's foundational. We don't have safety. The rest of it doesn't matter. So you're, you were responding normally. And they said, no, that's abnormal. You're abnormal. Your response is abnormal. You're to blame. Anyone who has experienced a panic attack will know that as that starts, you're doing everything you can not to. Yes. <laughs> so I think the victim blaming is so offensive, particularly I know at the time it's happening, it's because of what is going on in the workplace. I actually had that awareness at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other thing I want to say about, about that, about words mattering, is that psychologically, it is, a, it is a pretty common response to seeing somebody else's trauma to, in some way, shape, or form, explain it away because we are so afraid that it could happen to us. So we want to think that that wouldn't be me. So you worked yourself into a tizzy. I wouldn't have done that. I wouldn't have reacted that way in the situation. I would have been fine. When the reality is that bad things happen to good people, people harm other people, and bad things happen that we cannot control. You and I have talked about this in our conversations. People have said, I didn't think this would happen to someone like you. And what does that mean? You're a white male who plays alpha males. So you can't really be breaking down like this. So we're going to discount it, and it's something that you're doing to yourself, or you're trying to be dramatic. Yeah, there's also there's also the toxic masculinity in that, right? I didn't think that could happen to you. <laughs> As I play this guy who is the epitome of toxic masculinity. Yeah, it goes back to this idea that you know you're having a normal reaction to abnormal circumstances, and that is not you. That's the circumstances' fault. But that's not the language that they use. They use the language of blame. And to go back to the issue of the language, I just want to point out that the language has power. 
beyond the person speaking it. Mm-hmm. It influences the listener. Yeah. It builds confirmation bias among a group of people or within an organization. Yeah. And what we will see in my story in Stage Combat is the effect of that language. Well, as we close out this last episode of the season, I want to thank Dr. Hurwitz for being an incredibly valuable resource. I can't tell you how much these conversations have meant to me, and I'm sure they've meant a lot to our listeners. We have a lot more episodes coming up in season two, but I want everyone, the lasting thought is to think about the power of words, whether it's the words of you telling your story, it's the words of how we refer to other people who are in who are suffering. And that's something we're going to continue to explore in Stage Combat. Thank you for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for talking about mental health, using your platform for that. That is so important. Every conversation takes a brick out of the stigma, the wall of stigma. So you're doing beautiful work. Dr. Elisa Hurwitz is a clinical psychologist in group private practice in New Hampshire. Be sure to follow her at drdrama.com, that's D-R-Drama, and on Instagram at thedrdrama, that's T-H-E-D-R-Drama. Remember, this conversation and this podcast should not be considered a substitute for medical or mental health advice. So if you are experiencing any medical or mental health issues, please seek independent medical advice from a healthcare professional. And on this last episode of season one of Stage Combat, a mental health story, I want to extend a very heartfelt special thank you to you, our listeners. Yes, there is a season two of Stage Combat. We're not going to leave you hanging. There are 11 new episodes. That's right, 11 episodes for you to look forward to. You know, I created this podcast to show how a mental health crisis happens. That's been the storyline of this first season of Stage Combat. In season two, we're going to show you the fallout of that mental health crisis. And we're going to pick up right from where we left off as I drove off from the Opera House. It's an epic season that actually covers a three-year period of my own personal mental health story. Keep following us here for that announcement of the premiere date of season two. A special thank you to Dr. Elisa Hurwitz for joining us. You know, she has really been the heart of this season of Stage Combat to help us make sense of the story. And I know her insights have meant as much to you as they have to me throughout these episodes. Stage Combat, a mental health story, is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. This episode was recorded and edited by Andrew Lynn. Andrew, you've been right there beside me in the months we have worked together to make this podcast, and I am grateful for your talents and your spirit. Stage Combat was directed and read by me, Sean Hayden. A special thank you to the incredible voice actors who have brought my story and the world of the good speed alive all throughout this season. You inspire me. Please follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn at Stage Combat the Podcast and on Instagram at Stage Combat the Podcast IG. 
Remember, we love hearing from you. So keep sending us your comments, your questions. Maybe you would like to share your own personal story with us. Email us at stagecombatthepodcast at gmail.com. And for the last time this season, I just want to say, I hope today and every day brings you an opportunity to claim your story. I'll meet you over for the premiere of Season 2 of Stage Combat, A Mental Health Story. If you or someone you know is in crisis or contemplating self-harm, you can reach out to the Suicide in Crisis Lifeline by simply dialing or texting 988. That's 988. Mental health assistance is also available through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a free, nationwide peer support service providing information, resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. You can call the helpline at 1-800-950-6264 or text HELPLINE to 62640. That's one 800 9506264 or by text to 62640